the town of Hemel Hempstead, my hometown. And we got along an experienced evangelist, a man called John Hawley. I don't know if he's still around. I lost contact with him a long time ago. We didn't know him, but we'd heard he was good. We got him along, and he went down with us to the town centre to do some open-air preaching. And as he started to preach, his manner was bold but warm. His content was good. And soon a little crowd of people gathered around to listen to him telling the gospel. Well, the rest of us were impressed. Wow, what a great chap. And the rest of us also, I think, thought, well, I certainly did, we couldn't do it like him. In fact, some of us couldn't do it at all. You know, there's not everyone that can get up in the town centre and speak the gospel to any passerby. But we were concerned to spread the gospel. So did that mean we were failures? We couldn't do it like him, and some of us couldn't stand up there and preach at all. Does that mean there's no role for us? No, it doesn't. We heard last time that some are gifted by God and called by God to be evangelists. You get that from Ephesians chapter 4. And we don't all have the same gifts, and we aren't all to be squeezed into the same mould, and we certainly shouldn't all be made to feel guilty or failures because we don't have the same gifts as others. Some are called and gifted to be evangelists. Does that mean the rest of us leave it to the professionals? Don't worry about it, just leave it to the professionals. No, it doesn't mean that. We also heard last week, we heard that there are five things, well, you might think of more, but I've identified five things we all can and should do to spread the gospel. There are actually many things that we could do to spread the gospel, but these are five that we all can and should do. There might be things that you are gifted in or that you have a particular interest in to spread the gospel that you couldn't say others here in this room ought to do. But these five we can say all Christians ought to do. Praying for the gospel, giving for the gospel, living for the gospel, speaking for the gospel and being part of a gospel church. Last time we heard about praying for the gospel. And we heard about that first because it must come first. This time we're hearing about giving for the gospel. Now I'm not saying this is the second most important. After last time's praying must come first, the rest don't follow in a particular order, I have to admit. There isn't a particular order. I'm not saying this is the second most important. I don't think you could say that. Although one writer who knows, well I think he knows what he's talking about, He said, this is the second most mentioned gospel activity in the Bible, giving for the gospel. I'm not sure if he's right, I haven't looked into it, but there is actually more about this in the Bible than I realised. But we're going to stick with one place this evening, and it's probably the richest place in this theme. Would you come with me again to Philippians 4? Philippians 4, and we'll be in verses 14 to 20. Verses 14 to 20 of Philippians 4. Now there are so many lessons from this passage, far more than we will go through this evening. We're looking at it really just from one perspective, not trying to get the whole passage. There's a lot here in this passage. And yet on the other hand, here's a passage that could seem a bit of an anticlimax. Because it comes at the end of a letter full of exalted themes. I hope you know well the letter to the Philippians. And it's a great letter. 
It contains possibly the most sublime description of the Lord Jesus in the whole Bible. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. It's, it's, it's a letter of exalted themes. Why does it finish with a paragraph about giving money? Is that a bit of a letdown at the end? Is that a bit of a poor ending? No, it's what the Bible does. You might think of Romans. Uh, this great gospel that we read about, and then we're in the last chapters where it brings us down, doesn't it, to how do you live it out? You might think of Ephesians. The great gospel of Christ winning his church. And then it brings it down to slaves. How do you work in your normal, everyday life? The Bible's like that. It raises our sights to Christ, and then it doesn't allow us to be theoretical or just say, I like singing hymns about Christ. It brings us down to, what are you going to do tomorrow? It's practical about how it affects life. And that's what's going on here in Philippians. Our sights are raised, and then it brings it down to money. So I want to show you that by showing how this paragraph suitably concludes Philippians. That's my aim this evening, to show you this paragraph, 14 to 20, suitably concludes this letter. I hope doing that will teach you about giving for the gospel. I hope it will remind you about a Christian approach to money. I hope it will motivate you to be generous. And I hope it will show you that Christian giving is so different from well, how much do I have to give? Uh, Is 10% okay? That sort of attitude. I've given 10%, have I done my bit? And it's also different from the world's comic relief fundraising. Comic relief on Friday, wasn't it? I'm not getting... Well, I am getting at it a bit, but not too much. Christian giving is very different from that. It's giving that flows from a heart changed by Christ's gospel. You see, what you do with your money says, it tells you something about your heart, doesn't it? It tells you what you value and what you prioritise. Yes, some people, the big thing they like to spend their money on is clothes. That, that tells you something, doesn't it? That how they appear matters to them. I'm not saying it shouldn't matter, actually. It, I'm glad that none of you look completely careless about how you appear. But for some people, it really matters. And so their money goes, a lot of it goes on clothes. For some it goes on uh, the house. Some people aren't that bothered about their house though. You know, some people, their car looks like it costs more than their house did. In other words, what you use your money for shows what matters to you. And hopefully we'll see that as we look at this paragraph in Philippians. One more little thing to say before we get into it properly. There was a preacher who had just begun his ministry in the town of Hemel Hempstead again, actually. And he was going to a well-established church, but he was young and new at it. And so he went round to visit the people. And he was visiting one lady, and he was talking to her. And after a while, she said to him, how much do you want? He said, I beg your pardon? She said, how much do you want? He said, I don't know what you mean. She said, well, every minister who's ever visited me before, in the end, gets round to wanting money out of me. So I'm just going to be up front. How much do you want? <laughs> that flabbergasted him. It's, it's a dishonour, isn't it, to Christ, if the church seems to be, it's a fundraising organisation after our money, which sadly often has been. Well, I hope we're not, and this sermon isn't an appeal for church funds. This sermon is an appeal to examine your heart 
to see how the gospel should affect your use of money. And then to give to gospel work, but it doesn't have to be here. There's plenty of gospel works you could give to. So let's get into that now. Give to the gospel out of. I've got a whole load of themes of Philippians that should result in giving to the gospel. So, give to the gospel out of, first of all, devotion to the Lord. This is a theme in Philippians. In chapter 2, in those great verses 6 to 11, we are shown who the Lord Jesus is. Verse 6, he's in very nature God. We are shown what he has done. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. We are shown where he is now. He's exalted to the highest place. We're shown in the most sublime language, the Lord Jesus. And people who recognise all that about him, they want to know this Jesus. That's the theme of of chapter 3. I want to know him, Paul says. Of course he does. Who wouldn't want to know him? But people who know Christ, will they live and breathe for this, that he should be honoured? That's chapter 1. To me to live is Christ. I live and breathe for his honour. And people who live and breathe for his honour, well, of course, they're eager for his gospel to spread. That's also chapter 1. Paul says, what makes me happy is not whether I'm in prison or out of prison, it's whether Christ is preached. This is what I want, him to be made known. So, running through Philippians is this theme, devotion to the Lord. And then at the end of the book, we find devotion to the Lord results in giving for the gospel. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. When did the Philippians start giving? Well, verse 15 says... And notice it doesn't say when in the early days of your acquaintance with me. It says in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. When they first got acquainted with, they got to know the gospel. They heard this gospel and it was such good news, they wanted others to hear it. They came to know the Lord and he's such a good saviour, they wanted others to know him. So what did they do? Well, I expect they told people. I expect they did all sorts, but one of them was this. They gave. And it says they gave again and again. And they gave so Paul could tell this gospel to others. He could be freed up from working, making tents, and tell the gospel to others to introduce this saviour to others. Now I wonder, would you connect devotion to the Lord and giving money? I don't think we tend to put the two together. I think we tend to think money is necessary, but it's a little bit embarrassing, isn't it? Come to church and hear about money. Money's a bit grubby. We might think, here's a parallel, a little like this. Parents with babies. There is, there's a lot that's enjoyable about being a parent with a baby, isn't there? There is playing with them and cuddling them and talking to them, and especially when they're too young to talk back. or at least answer back is what I mean. Lots that's enjoyable about babies, but then there's changing nappies. I don't think anyone enjoys that, do they? It's necessary, but unfortunate. 
And don't we think of money as often in that category? Necessary, but unfortunate. But look at verse 18. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He's talking about giving money. And he describes it in the most exalted spiritual terms. A fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Do you know where that phrase comes from? Think very early in the Bible. A fragrant offering pleasing to God. It's Noah after the flood. Worshipping God as he sacrifices clean animals. Oh, there's all sorts of lessons there about he does it after he's saved. This is not giving money to earn God's acceptance. But the main point I'm trying to make is, giving for the gospel is an act of worship. It's an act of devotion to the Lord. So, because of devotion to the Lord, will you give? Will you give to support a missionary taking the gospel to people who don't know Jesus? Will you, out of devotion to the Lord, give to a theological college so people will be trained to contend for the faith of the gospel? Will you give to a mission agency to support the planting of churches in places where they haven't got a church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Those are just examples, obviously. How do you use money? Does it show that you're devoted to the Lord? Next theme... Next theme in Philippians is loving fellowship. Loving fellowship's a big theme in Philippians. Now, have you ever received a text message and taken it wrongly because it, you couldn't really get what was the tone of it? That happens, doesn't it? If something's in writing and fairly short, it can be hard to sense the tone. And you think, oh no, he sounds really cross with me. What have I done wrong? But he's not cross with you at all. It's just it's hard to pick up the tone in a text message. Well, the tone of Philippians should be easy to pick up. Let's see if you can pick up the tone. Chapter 1, verse 3. What's the tone of this letter? Chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 26. He wants to come and see them. He thinks that he's going to be kept alive so that he can come and see them so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Or jump right on to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. What's the tone? There's a clear tone. It's loving, isn't it? And it's joyfully loving. It's a, the tone is joyful love. The tone is people joyfully loving each other because they're both taken up with Christ. Paul and the Philippians are taken up with Christ and that makes them joyfully love each other. That is Christian fellowship. 
Christian fellowship isn't drinking tea and eating biscuits together. Yeah, drink tea and eat biscuits if you want. In fact, that might happen as a result of Christian fellowship, but it isn't in itself Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is people joyfully loving each other because they are taken up with Jesus Christ. And at the end of Philippians, we find this loving fellowship results in giving for the gospel. Verse 14 again. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Where's the fellowship in those verses? Well, in verse 14, it's the word share. And in verse 15, it's the word shared. Because they are both exactly the word fellowship. You see, a book that has had this theme of loving fellowship ends with people giving money out of fellowship, as an act of fellowship. Fellowship means sharing. We share the same Father and Saviour. We share the same love for each other. We share the same rejoicing in the Lord. We share in each other's needs and troubles. And so the Philippians shared their money to help Paul as he travelled around the Roman Empire preaching the gospel. Loving fellowship resulted in giving because fellowship is sharing and this was a very practical sharing. So giving for the gospel isn't just setting up a direct debit and there you go, it happens, doesn't it, without you, you hardly notice it unless your finances are really tight. It just happens each month. Well, that's not a bad thing to do, but... Giving for the gospel is more than that. It's things like this. You read into all the world and you find out what Phil and Kate King are doing and you pray for them and you ask them about how their children are getting on and then you pray for them and you share, you give to help their financial needs. Or you sign up for Andy and Tatiana Ball's newsletter And you're someone who pleads with God for them because there they are in a difficult situation doing crucial work. You plead for them and the gospel work they're doing. And you let them know that that you're praying for them. Not to give them an extra job of replying, but just to give them some encouragement. And you share to help the spread of the gospel there in eastern Ukraine. Now again, just two out of many examples. How do you use money? Is it part of you having loving fellowship with those spreading the gospel? Next theme, Christ-like putting others first. A theme in Philippians is Christ-like putting others first. Now, I'm sure for many people, the high point of Philippians is chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. That wonderful description of Christ, very nature God, came all the way down to the cross and then exalted all the way up to the highest place. Wonderful. But why is it there? It's not just there to make us think Christ is wonderful. It's there so we do verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We are to be like him. And in particular, we are to be like him in a verse 4 way. Verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
That wonderful passage about Jesus is there so that we are like Christ and put others first and put their needs above our needs. There's a theme in Philippians and at the end of Philippians we find this Christ-like putting others first results in giving for the gospel. Verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Paul was in need, and the Philippians put his needs first. How do I know they put his needs first? Well, because they also had needs. How do I know they had needs? Well, partly because everyone does, but also look at verse 19. Verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. Why is that put there at the end of a paragraph about giving? Oh, because they had needs and they're putting Paul first and then the the obvious thing to do is worry their needs won't get met. They're putting his needs first. What will happen about theirs? Are they going to be left in difficulty? They saw Paul's needs, they gave and they trusted God to supply their needs. You don't have a Christ-like putting others first if it doesn't include what you do with your money. You know, I heard someone say that the last place for repentance to reach is your wallet. It can reach all sorts of other areas until your wallet or your bank account. I don't know if that's true. But if it doesn't reach your wallet, there's a question mark about is there really Christ-like putting others first going on? So will you be like Christ or the world? The world's attitude is this. I must have that car, that TV, that holiday, those clothes, and if anything is left over, I'll see what I can give. Isn't that the way it goes? Yeah, I must have, and I've got my list of what I must have, and if anything's left over, well, I can do some giving. The Christ-like attitude is the other way round. It is, well, the Petras and the Jonases... They've moved to northwest Leicester to spread the gospel. They probably aren't all that well off. I'll ask what their needs are. And this world actually is so full of people in need, bigger really than the missionaries and the evangelists need, is this need. People need the Lord Jesus. They need people sent out to spread the gospel. They need people who will give up their jobs and train at a theological college. I'm not saying all evangelists need to do that, but the church does need some to do it. And that costs a lot of money. And I want to help meet their needs. And then if any is left over, I'll see about those things I'd like. Which is your attitude more like? The world? This is what I must have. If any is left over, it can go. Or Christ's. He came and he met our needs and put them first. How do you use money? Is it with a Christ-like putting others first? Last one, and we need this one because these are hard things, aren't they? And I'm not standing here claiming that I'm doing them as I should. And I'm not here claiming that they are easy to work out how to do. So we need this last one. A theme in Philippians is confidence in God. Confidence in God. Let's see it briefly. Chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Paul is praying for them and he's praying thankfully for them because, verse 6, he's confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is confident that salvation is God's work from start to finish and he will finish it. He started it. It wasn't us, our initiative. It was him, his initiative, and he will finish it. See that again in chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Paul's confident that salvation is a matter of God's purpose to change us, not our purpose to make ourselves better or to get changed. Confident in God who's doing everything according to his purpose. Put a little differently in chapter 3, verse 21. This time it's about the Lord Jesus who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Confident Lord, the Lord Jesus controls everything. We like to think we're in control. And money is a way of us keeping control, isn't it? And money enables us to keep control, so we think. But Paul says, I'm confident the Lord Jesus has everything in control. And because of that, we will be fully saved, finally saved. And so, he has no confidence in weak, sinful us. Chapter 3, verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, isn't that a pretty good summary of faith, actually? Faith in Jesus means this. You've got no confidence in yourself to sort your life out. You've got every confidence in Jesus. It's because he is in control and he's doing his will. Not I'm in control doing my will. Isn't that at the heart of faith? It's not about my will and my control. It's about his will and his control. Have you got that sort of faith? That's the faith you need. That's saving faith. And that's the theme of Philippians, this confidence in God. And at the end of Philippians, you find this confidence in God results in giving for the gospel. Now, if you go into old parts of Leicester Royal Infirmary, I think it's the Jarvis building. Someone else probably knows and can tell me afterwards. But the old, they look to me like the old parts of Leicester Royal. And you can see their plaques on the wall that are commemorating people who've given, I presume, when the hospital started given what was then large amounts of money, so the hospital could be built. The hospital needed these people and their money. The people gave, and the people get glory, don't they? They get the glory of having a plaque on the wall that's lasted, I think it's over 100 years. Well, giving for the gospel is nothing like that. God doesn't need us. Verse 19... And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He doesn't need us, it's quite the opposite. We need him and he can meet all those needs. And he can meet all his kingdom's needs. So why give? Well, that's a wrong attitude to ask why give, isn't it? That doesn't stop us giving, that frees us up to give. That means people who want to give out of devotion to the Lord, out of loving fellowship, out of Christ-like putting others first, they can without worry. They don't have to worry, will I lose out from this? 
They don't have to worry, will I get to the end of my life and regret that I gave that money instead of having that holiday? I missed out on all those things. They don't have to worry about that because God doesn't need us. We need him and he can supply all of those needs. We don't give because God needs us. We give because he enables us and he supplies our needs. And this is really going back into the previous paragraph. He can make us content whatever the circumstances. That means we don't get the glory, do we? Because it isn't us helping out God in his needs. It's him enabling us to have a part in his kingdom and a part in his work that he's doing. So we don't get a plaque on the wall. No, God gets the glory. And so a paragraph about money, think of that grubby old money. A paragraph about that can end with verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We go from the heights of considering Christ down to a paragraph about money and back up to the heights of God's glory. And it all matches if you understand what's going on. Well, in comic relief last Friday, money was given in response to sponsored events and appeals and comedy sketches. And Christian giving is so different. I hope it's been clear to you. It's so different. It comes from the gospel having changed us and the Lord Jesus having got hold of our hearts. Has he got hold of your heart? Has the Lord Jesus got hold of your heart? Do you have this devotion to the Lord? This loving fellowship? This Christ-like putting others first? This confidence in God, you won't lose out in his hands. How do you tell if you've got it? Well, here's one vital way you tell. It will affect how you use money. You'll give for the gospel. Let's pray about that now.